Hey, welcome to Broker to Broker. This podcast is all about real talk from one broker to another. Each week, we'll be talking with an AIM member about their journey into the broker channel, their challenges, and unique insights. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Broker to Broker, brought to you by AIM, Association of Independent Mortgage Experts. I am your host, JP Hussey of the Hussey Team Mortgage Advisors. And today we have my friend, Karina Carter, CMS Mortgage Solutions. What's up? What's up, JP? How you doing? Long time no see. I am doing well. Weird times, huh? We're up like, what, 55 bips, but you don't see any of it coming back, right? <laughs> well, yeah, such we a, have such a, a lot of time. unique times. Yep. We're, yeah, we're, and, that, and, that, and that's something I want to get into at some point, because uh, you've been in the industry how long now? I have been in the industry 23 years this year. 23 years. Have you ever seen a time like this? Um, I have not. It's definitely a unique time. I know we're going to get into some of that, but yeah. um, as a mentor and as a boss, it's a different time as far as what we're going through, I think, with each individual. Right. Definitely. I mean, it's always different. I mean, we could say this every year probably, right? But it's a, it's a little bit heightened, I'd say, but <laughs> it is what yeah. it is. But I mean, it's it's been weird because it's been a it's a weird year, but it's been a good year for our industry a bit. So anyway, we'll we'll get into that at some point. But could you, for people that don't know you, could you give us the little timeline of how you got in the business, why, when, till now? Sure, absolutely. So I got in the business in 1997, just by default, like most people have, uh, broke, poor, disgusted, trying to figure out how to find a job. Um, and then about eight years later, I opened my own company and we have been CMS mortgage, uh, August 5th, we celebrated our 15 years. So oh, nice. and I have been a mortgage broker almost all of 23 years, except for one year back in 98 and a half, I was a wholesale rep for one year. Um, and then I got tired of showing my brokers how to put loans together. So I went off to be a broker. And I have been a broker ever since and opened my own broker shop in 2005. Nice, 2005. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I was in insurance and then I left that and I got into like a small credit improvement company. And -hmm. then I started like, I'm doing everything for these LOs. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm smarter than that guy, I think. And so I, I kind of jumped in. So, you know, same, same type of thing, you know, like I'm getting back in, we're going. So, so I get it totally. That's cool. That's cool. So 15 years, that's pretty cool. So you were seven years in the industry and then said, yo, I'm going to go start this thing on my own. Now, did you have a partner? Was it just you? It was different back then, but. Um, Yeah, no, it was just me. Uh, One of the things that I did was at that time, I ran a branch with uh, one of my best friends who's my still my best friend to this day but one of the things we did was we were kind of like what do we do to get away from the people that want to be like us like everybody was opening up a shop on every corner under Uh every name and we just wanted to be known for what we did so i said well i think i'm just going to go ahead and try this and see what i can do Mm -hmm. um because then some people were opening up mortgage companies at that time or even branch offices and they didn't know what they were doing so agents would always call me to clean up the mess yeah. for the other people within my company who I had no affiliation with, but they just ran a branch, say five streets down the, you know, down the road. Mm-hmm. 
Now, so, okay, so think about it now, the past couple of years, you're seeing a lot of people opening shops again, right? Does it yes. feel the same? No, it doesn't. Okay. Um, there's a lot more accountability. There's a lot more responsibility. Um, I do believe there's a lot more training prior to, and I do believe the people that are opening their own shops or trying to go more independent, um, they do have more experience than you sitting around the Applebee's, uh, you know, table on a Friday night at happy hour and say, oh, I want to be a loan officer. So I'm going to open a branch for XYZ mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, I've been in the industry 10 years. So after eight years, that's when I opened up my own shop. So kind of following your, your footsteps there a bit, right? Yeah, right, right, right. You're right on my heel there. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming for you, Karina. Um, uh, all right. So 2005, you opened up. Then everything happened in 2008. Could you tell us a little bit about back then when all that happened? It's not like it is now. I mean, obviously, but it's maybe that was the last time something big happened in the industry, kind of like now. I, I don't know. Sure, sure. Well, I can tell you, I, I got lucky. I feel like one of my great aspects of what I do is for, forecasting. Okay. So I talk to my staff all the time about forecasting and what they can do. So when we, 2005, one of the things of opening up my own company was I said, I want to have all the tools to service everybody. And one of the tools I needed was FHA and VA. Yeah, need it. So in 2005, when I opened up my shop, in regards to what I wanted to have for my employees or what I felt like I didn't have when I went out on my own was all the tools in my toolbox. And the tools in my toolbox to me is how I'm going to service my clients. How can I diverse, be a very, a, you know, try and service everybody in the needs of our community. So one of the things we looked at was how do I get FHA and how do I get VA? So in 2005, we didn't have any brokers in my area that had FHA at all. Um, a few had VA, but not a lot. So when you ask me the question about what happened in 2008, 2009, 10, I got lucky because I got my FHA nine months after I opened my shop in 2005. Mm -hmm. FHA, so they told me that it would take me five years. So I got all my references for seven years. I I went to HUD to bat, I got my CPA, I got all my credentials, and at that time we got what was called your mini eagle, and I carried my FHA. Now in five and six, it was all conventional, non-traditional mortgages, subprime, right. so you really didn't need a whole lot of FHA. And I'd have used it probably the first two or three years, maybe, I say I probably did less than 20 loans per year in five and six, with my FHA license. Because one of the things I can tell you to this day I have in my drawer, in August of 05, I have an article for our area that says, no FHA and VA loans allowed on listings. Really? So, can you imagine that happening today? Like on the front page of our real estate said, our market is so hot and we're in a VA area with over like 16 bases from here to Richmond and it says no FHA or VA contracts accepted for 18 months. We had So I kept all my licenses up. I kept that going. And in 2008 and 2009, Gassy was the only one around who had their FHA and VA. You? 
it was yeah it was expensive for a few years to carry with no business and and carry that fha license so needless to say all the brokers had to either come work for me or send me their fha business because when all the subprimes started going away in 08 and things then um you know my nickname and uh, what back then was fha mortgage queen nice so needless to say i helped all the other brokers even a few of them that I liked, I helped get set up to get their FEJ license. And Neela, that was 08, 09, 10. And in 2010, they finally did away, was it 10 or 11 that they did away with the Mini Eagle? And I was like, that's like 25 grand, 30 grand a year sometimes to keep it. Whoa, really? I had no idea. Yeah. So depending on your volume, depending on your CPA and what well, I did just as a small broker. So so a lot of people, they weren't gonna do it mm -hmm. because they didn't use it or they weren't trained enough in it. And I always was about probably 80% Gubby, VA and FHA. Except for, like I said, that it was probably 04, 05 and 06. So as I was training on my staff, <clears throat> some people who didn't wanna come work for me, they'd go to work other places because they felt it was easier because I made them learn VA. Oh yeah. Learn FHA. I made them run their own DU. You know, with mm -hmm. subprime, you didn't have to run DU, right? No. Well, and and what's what's kind of funny is, I mean, back then they were actually putting it in the newspaper, right? No FHA, no, no VA. Unfortunately, it still happens though. In our area, I mean, in a hot market like this, it is one straight conventionalized. And they're like, if it's FHA, not taking it. Now it's not promoted out there, but it's happening. You see it all oh, the time yeah. with VA. People just think, oh, no, no VA, I'm not doing it. I see it, I'm not doing it. Appraisal yeah. issues. Come on, yeah. you have to be educated about it, right? So it still happens, unfortunately, in it today's does. world. You know, it, do, you it, it. it sure does. I just had a client last month get three houses turned down, didn't get the contract because they're $800,000 purchase in Northern Virginia, VA. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody says, I don't want to go through the process with VA appraisals yeah. just in case. It's a shame, you know, because you're helping out a veteran that, that, the only uh, type of people that are entitled to something, <laughs> you know, and it's just, yes. it's not, it's not fair, but anyway. Um, so like, how's your, how is your business diversified now then? Like you told us about back then. So what are you preparing for now? And what do you have in your toolbox, toolbox that you actually use? We were talking about it yesterday of niche type things, but like, so tell us a little bit about that. Right. So I think that's a great question. Right now, there's a lot of uh, people, a lot of chat and a lot of mentors and coaches saying, hey, don't forget about your purchases. Don't forget about your purchases yeah. um, because you want to make sure. So we're 90% purchase shop, but right now, due to inventory and everything else, we're probably about 39% purchases. Yeah. Same. Um, not a lot of inventory out there. So another thing I'm saying is don't forget about the other products. So one of the things we did was we learned the non-QM products. We've been offering the non-QM products for almost seven years. And we were the only broker locally here offering the non-QM products. So I did them for a lot of banks locally here. So I partnered with mm -hmm. some of them. Oh, cool. um, one of the things that I do do, um, and I did specialize a little bit more in, in the early 2000s too, was reverse mortgages. So mm -hmm. we've gotten our feet wet again with those. Uh, no one right now wants to do 203Ks. We have a couple of those in right now. So I think a lot of times during this market reminds me then is how do you then have other tools and how are you going to service other people? And 
we also took another approach to that was we took some mentoring. Who in our office is going to be able to do the reverses with me? Um, so that processor is labeled as the reverse processor. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the 203K, we have one individual processor who handles the 203Ks. Mm -hmm. So also those things don't bog down our wheelhouse either by people learning or by little different hiccups that you may have with maybe a little bit more extensive work on those programs as well too. Yeah, you gotta, you have to understand them. I get it. And, and, and let's be honest, right now, at least most product, it, it is just the typical conventional product. That's usually right now what it is, but you gotta be prepared for the other ones. You can't just push them all away. Let's have a spot for all of them. Like, and I mean, obviously to help everyone, but what if those products come back hard? Now you're prepared, like you said, back in 05 or 06, 07, 08, like you knew you had it all. And then they, you right. got the market cornered. So that's smart. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about your shop as well? Like, like how many LOs you have? Are you still producing? Pro like, could you tell us how that's set up as well? Sure. Absolutely. So we have about 14 LOs. Um, three of those, if not four, are LOAs. Okay. okay. And then we have a few on-staff processors and then we have a few third-party processors as well, okay. too. So our, our process here is we have LOs that come on board or have been with us for years. 75% of our staff has been with us for over five years, if not seven years for most of them. And when we bring someone on board, whether they like it or not, we kind of force them to buddy up. Mm -hmm. So they have to onboard with an LOA um, in, in position as far as what that helps me transition them. It helps the learning curve, and it also helps them go into um, what I would say a, a bigger portfolio of what they can offer and not be so overwhelmed as well, too, mm -hmm. uh, because they have someone who has actually been doing it for years and been doing it in our wheelhouse our way. Your so, way, of course. I mean, I was going to say, like, like, are you guys actively recruiting for LOs, number one, right? But how do you determine if you're going to bring someone on? Because I've always said it's better to have two, like, 10 or $12 million producers, right, that are cool and kind of follow the system than one high-maintenance $30 million producer, right? Because right. that, oh, that yeah. could ruin the culture, right? So are you, st are you currently recruiting? And then, like, what do they have to fit into? What's your culture all about? So we are currently recruiting, and – we like to share with them on how we're going to build them, how we're going to build their brand within our brand. Cool. Um, our culture, we're, we're a family-driven company. So I know one of the things we're going to talk about, but I have to laugh because I was talking right before the uh, podcast. I was like, okay, what do I talk about like fintech? Like, because I'm not the fintech person. So um, Deshaun's like, just tell them I'm, I'm fintech. Like there's nothing else yeah. you do, but Deshaun is the fintech, right? Okay. So, so they have to also, when they come on board for our culture and what we do, they have to know who they're working with, right? So all our people um, in regards to have a specialty of what they do. So we label out like, this is this person for this, this is this person for this, and our processors. But at the same time, who are they going to pair with and buddy with as far as that goes and what that looks like? So everybody also has a say-so. You know how you walk into a shop and people are like, oh, who's the new kid? Or uh -huh. are they going to fit in? 
or is everybody going to give them a chance? So part of that, I believe, is also leadership, is how you massage and mentor people to also welcome people. Because if we're not welcoming them as leaders and saying, that, oh, they're just the new guy, or I heard today someone said they went to work somewhere and the company sat down and said, okay, you're on boarding, you're here, but welcome to hell. It's like, is that because you're- Great way to start, yeah. Yeah, that's like, I mean, that would scare the crap out of anyone, right? So as a leader, I feel it's my job to massage and mentor my people to be able to welcome other people, right? But I also feel like because we're such a tight-knit company that we should also, they should have a say-so. Now, they don't have final say-so, but, you know, what does it look like? Like you said, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch, right? Yeah. So how do we kind of prevent that from happening? And there were people that will come and go and not fit into your wheelhouse and not really appreciate what you're doing. So you kind of have to know as far as where you where you stand, what that looks like for you and your company. And like you said, is it the two $10 million producers or are you going to sit there and cater and ruin your processor's process for a $30 million producer who is, you know, the processor's just pulling their hair out they're just crying every day because yeah. they cannot work with this person or every Friday comes up with drama king. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. So, so yeah, so I think for us, it's a matter of us all getting along, um, really understanding what we're all here for. Also understanding that, um, you know, you kill everybody with kindness, but you also understand where everybody is when they get serious and what that looks like for each person. So it takes a lot, like I said, from the top up and going down as far as leaders go to massage and mentor different people. Um, I give you the football analogy. You got some coaches that are really good coaching for the whole team. They coach the team, they understand each position, or you've got a coach who is just a individual coach, mm -hmm. right? And I believe right now, more than ever during COVID, and what we're getting ready to transition to, I think for the next 24 to 36 months, is you have to really be a team coach. Because a lot of people aren't, don't even know what's coming for us in the next three years. Right. So I have my own personal opinion, but it's a little different than some, but I believe it's gonna change the way originators do business because they have to be truly vested in their career. Okay, all right, cool. So I have a couple of notes written down. I liked all that. That was awesome. Um, you said kill them, kill them with kindness. I like to say piss people off with positivity. That's mine. Um, you do not have a hazing ritual for new hires. No. Do not. <laughs> um, okay. All right. That's all I got. All right. Later. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, all right. So let's talk about this because it, it does seem like with, with this COVID stuff, it's probably going to or we have to plan that it's going to stay around for a bit. Right. So right. when this, when this popped off, right. I'm assuming you've, you've kind of had the same amount of staff as you do now. Right. Correct. The same amount. Like what, what did you do? Like, because you, are you guys pretty hands off hands on with referral partners and clients sometimes? Uh, or no? Yes, we are. We're pretty, we're, uh, we pretty hands off, uh, but staff wise. No. So okay. I will tell you this. 
my staff is so used to coming into the office that I had to force them to stay home a few okay, days Okay, yeah, that's week. what I'm asking. I'm trying to, yeah, cool, okay. Yeah, so, so staff likes them. So referral partners, different people, we're, we're used to Zooming. We're used to doing training, virtual training. And I've been doing training for 10 years. I used to be an NMLS provider for 10 years. Cool. So, so once my FHA gig went up in 09, 10, and the 10, 11, 12 got a little rocky, that's when I picked up my training gig. Okay. okay. So, but needless to say, right now, I believe as far as coming into the office, I have to force them to stay home a few more days a week than what I ever did. So we were so accustomed to coming in and we still are now. So it's really hard for me to get them to stay at home and work from home because everybody likes coming into the office. As far as administrative, all sales are usually outside. So we do a lot of virtual mm -hmm. um, and everything else like that. But uh, admin staff, they can work from home as much as they like. Cool. But uh, I, four out of five days, I, I would say they choose to come into the office. I don't know why, but they just like being here. Yeah, I mean, I like coming in. I think it, it makes sense. It gives you something something different to do than just sitting in the same spot, you know? But did you see any, I mean, obviously business, I'm, I'm assuming for you really took off this year, right? And like, how did, how did your staff kind of handle uh, a different routine, let's say? So JP, I'll be a little selfish here. On the boss mode, they had no other choice and didn't have nothing else okay. to do, like right? That. I'm scared <laughs> of you, yes. Okay. So, so they're like, F it. We just got to work till 2 yeah. a.m. Uh -huh. We don't have anywhere to go. We can't do nothing else. And Karina's got 100 loans here that we're used to doing uh -huh. 30. So we okay. went from closing 612 in 2019 to this year. We are probably not going to quite break 1,000 units. Oh, I wanted to see 1,000. We're right there. We're, we're, uh, we're treading right at 973. So, so I got a little radio ad going in the next couple of weeks and maybe pick up that thousand. So, that's cool. but, well, but that's my goal. Well, let's transition to there. So what type of marketing are you doing? So you just said you're doing radio. I haven't, I haven't did radio in 10 years. So I'm going to, okay. I'm doing it in the next 60 days to try and hit that thousand mark for the end of the year. That's cool. Are you going to be blatant about it? Like, yo, we're trying to get to a thousand loans for the year. Uh, no, but you know what? You just gave me a great idea. I, I just might do that, right? I, I'm all about it. I would just yeah. be as direct and honest as you can. I think people, I think they feel that. I think when you're kind of like, you know, you know, tiptoeing around it, people kind of feel it like, yo, yo, we're, uh, you know, CMS. We're trying to get to a thousand loans for the first time. Can you help us out? We'll help you. You help us. We'll help you. I don't know. I think that's great. I could talk about this that, all day. That might be a great idea. That, serving a thousand families in the Hampton Roads community. I just right. added a line to my radio ad. So I'm going to go on staff and you owe me uh, five bips on all those loans. <laughs> the, I, no, I kid. I kid. I kid. Um, all right, cool. So other marketing. So besides the radio, like what are you doing there? Is there anything on social media? Is there, is it just all referral after referral book of business? Yep, we've always done referrals, and I just started uh, with Wiki Realty putting some of that information out there in local okay. content, which is reaching a little bit more people, which I found interesting, and I'm following that. So, but again, talk to my FinTech guy, Deshaun, because I, I don't okay. know a lot about that. The but inter interview him, okay, fair enough. Yeah, he would be, he's the FinTech guy. I'm the massage and mentor, but... Um, but it is starting to bring a little bit more traffic to us, traffic to our website. 
but again, uh, it's the first time ever in a long time that we've really dabbled a little bit more into trying to put ourselves out there. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about that part. That's a goal of ours in the next couple of years is how do we stay front and center in our local community? And what are we gonna do to serve our community? That's cool. Now, now you have 14 LOs, some of them are LOAs, right? Like you mm -hmm. said. And then you had mentioned that, all right, we want, we have a great system. We want everyone to, to buy into this system. But then you were saying you're helping, you help your LOs kind of brand themselves within your own branding, right? So are any of your LOs kind of doing anything different out there or some, you know, branding them themselves more on social media? Do you see any ideas for other LOs out there? For, for our LOs, I have to be honest, we have a lot of them that came into me about five years ago and said, hey, Karina, we want to stay in the mortgage business, but we don't know how much we're going to produce. Okay. And Or we want to stay in the mortgage business, but we may want to kind of wind down and maybe not do as much. So uh, that's why I say, I don't know if a lot of people would agree or not agree how their setup is. But ours is then we bring them in and we buddy them with the LOA, right? So when we buddy them with the LOA, then they're able to go out there and do that face-to-face -face marketing. Okay. They're able to go out there and do more of that because our LOAs work more in lines of a um, digital LOA or your FinTech LOA as far as because they're doing pricing, product, structuring the loan, running DU. And so basically to come to work at CMS to be an LOA, you have to be one kick ass of a person who's willing to drink coffee all night long and answer emails at 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Because that's what we expect of our LOAs. So our LOAs are a little different than some companies because our LOAs are the background structuring product pricing and doing all the good stuff. Our processors collect all the documentation as far as once it's past the actual application stage. Got so it. we try and leave the LO out as much as possible, application and upfront documentation, and we really try and fo follow that system. So then the LO, going back to your question, is what are they doing different? So that gives them more face time. So okay. whether it be online, whether it be rotary meetings, whether it be um, you know one of their side gigs that they may be doing, whether it be parenting, whether it be school activities, then they're always out there marketing. But anything spectacular, I'd say um, no one's hitting the ground running with anything really crazy, except for really just trying to save that face time for outside of the office and not having to be set behind the desk because we expect our LOAs to be that person setting behind the desk. Got it. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, that puts it in perspective. Now, so the LO's job, right, is about there getting the business in is it also the LO's job to take a like a really good 1003? Like whose job is that? I'm trying to find like yes. see the breakdown of all the way through. That would be cool. Yes. If the yeah, sure. I'll give that to you. So the LO's job is to actually take the 1003. Okay. Send out what we call our 25-day checklist. Mm -hmm. It gives them what they need. Uh, collect those dots. Send that over to whether it be 2 a.m. or 5 a.m. The LOA. The LOA is running DU, pricing, picking where it's going to go. Mm. How quick does okay. it have to close? Is there any scenarios I need to know about so we know which lender to go to? And the LOA spits back to them the pricing sheet, any particulars they need, any overlays, any DU requirements, 
that would be the LOA's job. So then they're just out there selling. Got it. Once, once that point, the LOA then requ requests disclosures. So then we have another system breakdown, as we called it. We've dissected our processing system for the past three years. And it's definitely got us to the point where we could double our business each year. So two years ago, we decided we're going to one centralized person who's going to actually do all the disclosures for the whole company. So we have one person who discloses for the whole company. Once that R signs, then it goes to the then it goes to our opening processor who pre-underwrites that file. So they pre-underwrite the file, they go over the file, they submit the file to the lender. They, so again, the disclosure person, the pre-underwrite person never talks to the customer. This is all in lines with the LOA, okay? And then they submit it. Once the approval comes out, then that goes to your processor. Your processor then contacts the bar, they collect all the documentation, and they get that file to, the, to closing. So our last step we're implementing is our true closer. So yeah, even yeah. though we... Yep, even though we don't have a actual closing, we're not drawing docs or anything like that, our closing position is going to follow the CD through, making sure everybody collaborates, making sure everybody gets to the table on time. And then our closer is also going to then send out the survey, send out the purchase gifts, and then follow up and do all the actual reporting to have it all ready for auditing and, and MLS reports. So we're gonna make a whole closing experience of it too as well. So we'll need a, um, a closer and then like a junior closer underneath of it. And that's where we're gonna you know, keep our system a little buttoned up there. And it actually helps because each processor can then handle more files. Um, all our processors, except for our couple newbies that we're training right now, they all went commission three years ago. Everybody's increased their income each and every year with our process. So it's definitely helped dissect it. And, and one thing with the process is when you break down the processes, you have to be really good about putting the right person in the right place. Mm -hmm. And then two is making sure you cut and dry where they're going to pass that baton. Mm -hmm. Like So there's no finger pointing, right? He did, she did, or yeah, what? Clear. So really specific so we have a workflow that i label out all these steps on each workflow and it should be it's very specific we took like almost nine months to kind of put together our workflow what we wanted to look at and now we're adding our last step as far as what the closer is and it's not perfect for everybody but once we got past about 40 to 50 files a month we're just like we don't want a processor to be overwhelmed open to close what does that look like for each person? So going into the next step of where technology kind of meets us, hopefully real soon with the mortgage industry, then each processor in the middle of it that does the meats and guts of it should be able to handle 30 to 40 files comfortably with not having to work to midnight, two in the morning and different things like that. Yeah, that was gonna be my next question. Like how many can one of your processors handle? and 30 to 40 comfortably to 50 maybe, right? Like, right. and be able to go home and have that lifestyle that they want in that processor type role. So yeah, man, that sounds right. Well, they, and they should be able to, if they're not disclosing, if they're not pre-underwriting, and keep in mind, the pre-underwriting checklist goes to that processor, so that processor can start working on that file right away. They send that pre-underwriting checklist to the actual bar, and nine out of 10 times, what's under on that pre-underwriting checklist 
should be on the approval or is on the approval. Got it. So okay. we, once that approval comes in, they're running. They've got appraisal, they've got title, they've got that. So we also don't have where a lot of shops and I used to process a little bit up front as we waited till we got some of the items, which I know that's how probably a lot of people get these one day clear to closes with UWM. Um, and I understand that and that's a great process for us though. Sometimes I felt like we would not forget about files, but if you left the file hanging a little too long, yeah. so now we put it on the assembly line and it keeps going and going and going. It goes to the right person who's going to be accountable 24-7 for it. They have to pick up the pace and get it going right away. So the bar could actually sign today, be submitted tomorrow, be approved the next day, and still close in four to seven days. So yeah. our average close time this month was 14 days. Nice. I mean, that's, and that's refis purchase all mixed in, right? Yep. That's refis purchases all mixed in. Yep. I'm going to start yelling at my brother. That, that's, <laughs> that's Nick. No, okay. Um, okay. So, all right. We have about 10 minutes left. So I have a couple more questions. We hit a lot of this actually. Um, the one question I did have, and I was curious about is how your, your comp is set up for your LOs and your LOAs. I'm assuming they're both licensed, right? Yeah, actually, we are having everybody in our company get licensed. That's, I thought you mentioned that with like the process. That's what I yes. thought. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we wanted to be in a position to where we could have every single person licensed. So I know a lot of people don't, may or may not care to, and it scares a lot of processors coming on board that they have to get licensed. Uh, but I think it makes them more accountable. We can give them an incentive later on for getting licensed or either change that pay as we go as far as make those steps a little differently. Um, so for loan officer compensation, um, in regards to what we're doing with our loan officers now, also we've done something a little different than some people may agree or not agree on is we are nailed almost 90, 80%, 90% bar paid. So we flopped our whole business model from lender paid to bar paid. Wow. So, so definitely opposite of what most people would be doing right now because we are quantity and quality and we are in position to compete. So I'm okay with us making less on the company side and the loan officer making more. So, um, and, and again, it's not, it's being not selfish, looking at the future, where we're going, what it's looking like, being able to compete. Uh, one of the things we talk about right now is everybody has price, right? So I stayed a broker for 20 years because of price. I was always the best price and best fees in town. Mm -hmm. So how could I do that? So literally our comp is our average comp. And I think I just posted it this morning, but our average comp right now is less than one and a half. So, and we're still in a competitive market to where we could reach and get two and a half, but mm -hmm. we're not doing it. Um, you know, we have a few, um, but it's, it, right. it you have if you have your reverses you have your 203ks you have your tougher loans but our average also too is we're 80 percent gubby on the average year and this year we will probably top 40 to 50 percent conventional i've never did 40 50 percent conventional my whole entire life right right so so i've actually flopped the whole the whole model of what we're doing and we are competing as far as uh, what we want to do as far as in the industry. 
in our area and still be able to be best price and best fees. Yeah, if, if you think about it, borrower paid is the, is the most truest form, the most transparent form, in my opinion. Um, and you're able to cut on the fly if you need to, to make the deal work. Whether it's, whether it's price or just at the end of a deal, you can do it quickly. And, and it's all right by the client. Because if you think about lender paid or borrower, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's like smoke and mirrors. Why not be fully transparent about it? I agree with it. Right. Am I right? So a lot of, oh, yes. And a lot of people don't agree with it because a lot of people feel like also a lot of LOs don't know how to explain it. Well, exactly. But it's not, it's not hard to explain. And again, it's, it's the most transparent way for the client. It's probably the best way to show the client. You're not hiding right. anything. And, and you can change, like we said, on the fly. I love it. I love going par paid for that exact reason. So here's, here's what we make. Here's where we can negotiate. Here's what can happen. Here's where a market's on a good day. Here's where a market's on a bad day. Mm -hmm. um, so therefore we are being as transparent with each customer as possible in negotiating our fees at that time. Yeah. How cool is that? I, I think that's cool. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the, the, one of the posts today was in regards to, you know, our LOs still trying to chase price to get that two and a half. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, so we stopped that last year. We had a meeting in December and I said, you know, we're all probably going to be working for a point in less than 18 months. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to come on board, you have to be okay with that too. Like, mm -hmm. because you're going to make less, you know, a retail LO can go make 125, 150 basis points right now. Yeah. My company doesn't even bring that in per loan right now. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean... Because our max is what two point seven five to a company. Um, your your retail with the line of credit. I mean, you you can go well above that, right? So I mean, that's a whole nother discussion. So I I get it. I get it totally. The this side of the business, this channel, and then if you're adding in going fully borrower paid, it's the most transparent you can be to a client. And in my opinion, that's how it should be. But so we don't even flip flop as far as that goes. So right lender paid and borrower paid. There's no real point to do so. You just do almost 90% of your business. Instead of, you know, having to explain how am I going to go, you know, maybe 10% borrower paid, explain why I changed that loan to borrower mm -hmm. paid. So this year I was audited by three different states and come in and they're like, wow, I mean, you guys make like very little on each loan or what do you do? Right. But I mean, you know, years ago, there used to be this guy called the Upfront Mortgage Broker. He wrote a book and he charged $1,500 for a loan, period, no matter where he went. I remember so seeing I'm not, Yeah. I'm not going to go that low. Well, but. all right, I got you. No, I understand that. But I get, I understand the model and, and respect it is what I'm saying. I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have a few minutes left. So I have two questions. All right. Sure. It's already been 40 some minutes. Is that crazy? Yeah. So... If you were a new LO today, okay, um, whether brand new or, you know, stuck in a rut, whatever it might be, maybe looking to join you, right? What's the first thing you would tell that person? First thing to do. The first thing to do, a brand new LO into the industry. Or, or an LO trying to reinvent themselves. You could talk about that one. I would probably discuss exactly what we just talked about in what is your real goal and how do you want to um, build your business? 
So your real goal should be is one, everybody's going to say is income, right? I want to make income. Do you want to yeah, right. make income on two loans or do you want to make income on 10 and have all the referrals from 10? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? I can show you how to do that. And then also I can show you also how to use each lender to its capacity of what we need to use them for and then pro programs and products. 90% uh, of my staff doesn't know how to do a reverse mortgage, but almost every one of my LOs has closed a, re closed a reverse mortgage. 90% uh, of my staff probably doesn't know how to do a 203K. And when I say don't know how, they know the program, they know the product, but they're not going to process all that. So right. we have someone specially behind the scenes that's going to help them with that. So we just need them to understand the concepts and terms and what they're looking at and how to sell, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you bring in those new people, have the newbies, train them to be your sales and your face of your company, but build those numbers up to where next year we have that referral, those referrals, and we're steadily, we've got three today from customers in the past 30 days. You know, what are we doing differently? And process, um, price, and making sure we're staying in front of them for communication wise goes. Nice, nice, that's awesome, well said. Um, all right, last question. Three to five years from now, you've been in this 20, where are my notes, 23. 23. Mm -hmm. The next three to five years, where do you see the industry going? Well, I see me on an island just sitting there <laughs> laid back somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> as I, I soon as we can open up them borders, I'm gone, JP. Yeah, but, well, I know. But business-wise is, uh, you know, why I like what we're doing right now is I feel like we're all going to be working for less in the next three years. I feel like there's going to be some technology that's going to enhance us. I feel like... Uh, Closings are going to definitely eventually get better because we'll have the e-closings across the board. I'm hoping that COVID pushed that forward a little bit more than what it would have been. And I definitely feel like us old schoolers, as I would call us, anybody over 45, the average age in the MLS is still, in the NMLS is still 52. I feel like we're in a position to now say, how do we, how do we transition and get half of our pipeline to someone else and still make money, but yet still work for less. So we definitely have to massage and mentor these people. So future-wise, I feel like we're gonna be making a little less per, per unit, but maybe quantity could go up. Uh, tech will be better. And loan officer has to be on their game. So I don't know if you've talked to anybody yet or not, but I'm praying it doesn't get pushed back again. And Deshaun will hate me saying this, but as soon as the new 1003 comes out in March and you're forced to talk to your customer more because they filled out seven more damn pages of information that you had no idea of what their information was, it's also gonna change the game in how the, how, how the loan officer is dealing with the consumer, period, because uh, they're going to ask them, grant funds, I didn't talk to you about grant funds, what's on your application? Solar panels, I didn't talk to you about solar panels, what's on your application? You know, oh, you know, what other lien am I putting on this property? What's on your application? So now the, the loan officer who's just used to them filling something out online and not following through with all the proper questions is now already stumped at what they're doing. 
Mm. So you have to get up to speed real quick on what that is. So now you're going to look a little uh, inadequate to your consumer as far as your job goes. So making sure you're on your game. So I think in the next three years, loan officers are going to have to be on their game more. And it's going to make more of us retire because we're so tired. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like that. All right. So LOs, be on your game. It's going to get tougher, but it always does. I think that's the point you're making, though. You always have to constantly reinvent yourself anyway. You've been doing this long enough. You've seen it. Correct. It is what it is. So continue to do it, right? Correct. Correct. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Karina. It was good seeing you. It was good seeing you, JB. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yo, mail me a pair of those glasses. I like that. Oh, I, <laughs> I will. All right. Cool. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Broker to Broker podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss a single episode. Head over to aimgroup.com backslash broker to broker and subscribe on any platform where you listen to podcasts.